I'm a hustler, baby. Hustler. I just want you to know. let you know. It ain't where I've been. I'm Jess Zeno, and this is the Mothers of Reinvention. Every episode, I sit down with rebel women who share their never-before-heard life stories about that pivotal moment where they reinvented themselves and set their course to success. Today's guest is a powerhouse of a woman. She has been a television writer for such amazing hit shows as The Good Wife and My Own Worst Enemy and followed that up with creating, show running, and executive producing the Power Series on Stars, which includes Power 2, 3, 4. Can't wait to get into it. She is mama to a young daughter and was recently named to the Hollywood Reporter's Power 100 list of women in entertainment 2021. Please say hello to Courtney A. Kemp. Hi, Courtney. Hi, everyone. How Hi, are you Jess. today? I'm, I'm already busy. Um, yep. I am already tired. So <laughs> here we are. I think that's like, that's momming 101. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you split your time between New York and L.A. Where are you this morning? I am in L.A. Yeah. Uh, and I'm in L.A. Will that be changing sometime soon? Will you be headed back to the East Coast? I go back and forth. Um, I kind of, uh, I have a custody situation. So ah. I kind of toss the child to my ex-husband, run to New York, and then catch the child on my way back. I mean, we could really get into this if I want to, and you can tell me to stop talking about it or just say no. But how does that look for you, the custody? Because I, too, am, uh, I'm leaving for New York on Thursday for the rest of the summer. It's been an interesting conversation to have with a co-parent. Do you feel like you have um, that you're on solid ground on co-parenting these days? Or are you still I, I would love advice, essentially, and to anyone listening do you feel good about your communication with this person? Um, you know, I, I don't talk about my divorce and that stuff publicly other than to say that um, I don't believe that you can have it all. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of pressure on working moms to have it all and to have like a husband and a career that's flourishing and be a parent and do it all simultaneously. And the truth is, no, you can't. I don't think. I think you can do it, but I think they're sequential and not necessarily concurrent. So for me, I will just say that I was able to be a wife, um, a showrunner, and a mother for a very short period of time. And I had to let go of one of them, and only one of them was optional. So I don't know if that is the answer, but uh, what I would say is if you are in a situation where your career is about to take off and you find that the person that you're with, um, and this is not specific to gender, by the way, but if you mm -hmm. find that the person that you're with cannot necessarily support that, um, or it becomes too much for them, or it becomes something that doesn't make your relationship work. In my case, it really is about reinvention because I was one kind of wife and then I was another kind of showrunner. And so I was in New York and I was in this I had this big role where I was the boss and I was, you know, sort of, um, you know, really taking charge. And in my marriage, I was smaller, you know, I was number, you know, two on the call sheet, maybe number 10 in the call sheet. And so it was like, it was just, it didn't work and I couldn't shrink anymore. It five hours became not enough time to shrink into a smaller version of myself. 
Um, I don't think my ex-husband would ever say that he required me to be a smaller uh, version of myself. It was more that the person I was when he married me was smaller. And then I got bigger and so then couldn't accommodate all of it. That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I too had that similar as women, as, as you and I, as women who are, I want to say ambitious and creative and want that big life. I too had that moment where I was like, okay, my professional life is going in this one direction, but my personal life is so small and, and I don't like it. And they're not growing at the same pace and they're not growing in the same direction. And that was really the call when I made of like, yeah, me too. I felt like, okay, well, this is, this is what's going to get cut here. Um, and I'm happy, you know, I don't want to say happy is not the right word, but I'm glad to have made that decision for myself and my now almost six-year-old son. Um, but I also, it's hard on the other side sometimes, you know, it's, it's really hard. You th I thought it would not be as hard as it is now to manage the post-marriage relationship. Um, do you find that yeah. you're involved in it still, or have you figured out how to maintain efficiency for yourself and happiness? I I, again, again, like sort of not answering that question, but answering the question of like, how do yeah. you, how do you really make peace with things you can't control? Period. Yes. And when you decide to no longer be in a relationship with someone, whether they decide it or you or when a marriage dissolves, you're no longer in control. And I think what a lot of times is that women forget that they will be replaced. Women forget that it isn't just an absence of the negative situation. It is the replacement of that negative situation with a different negative situation. Yeah. So it's a, just a question of which one you prefer. Do you prefer to be in the house and have some control over what's happening? Or do you, do you make the peace with yourself to let go of control and to just go, oh, oh my child has a separate journey than I do. Yes. Oh, my child has a whole life that I will am part of, but I am not the lead in their life. I'm not my child's higher power. She has her own. So it's like, I gotta, you have to let go is what I would say. This is beautiful and so beautiful to hear this morning and what I need to hear and I'm sure what a lot of people need to hear. So thank you for that. Um, uh, let's yeah, get, off, you, of those, you let's get that, off of those dummies. <laughs> well, I was going to say though, what I was really going to say is like, if you think that getting a divorce is going to solve your problems, it replaces your problems. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like when it, it's very akin, I think, to when you live in an apartment and you have an apartment, you live in an apartment, an apartment building, and there's a manager and, you know, all those things. And then you move to a house and all of a sudden, even though you didn't like having neighbors and you didn't like parking downstairs in the garage, and you didn't like that when leaks happened, it didn't get fixed right away. All of a sudden in the house, you got to fix it. You have to do everything. You know, it just changes your problems. It doesn't, it doesn't get rid of the problem. So it's just, it's a, it's a new, it's a new thing. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I just would say that as opposed to like, all of a sudden everything's better. Um, I think you find out that you were blaming your partner or your ex-partner for things that was, were not his, her, or their fault. Yes. Yeah. Totally agreed. Every Tuesday night, though, I'm quite amazed that I, as I drag out the garbage bins, I'm like, yep, I'm doing this now. I'm grabbing, I'm taking yes, the garbage out. <laughs> oh, yes, every Tuesday. <laughs>
Um, mm-hmm. So let's uh, move on from that. I, I, funny, thank you for sharing that because I didn't uh, expect to jump off that way. I want to hear that, you know, you did start in, apart- in an apartment, let's say, so to speak, professionally. Um, I always loved how you shared with me that before, and f- again, feel free to share or not, before you were writing, television writing, before show running, before television writing, what were you doing? Um, wow. Okay. So I, uh, started in magazines. Um, before that I was, uh, in graduate school for English literature. Um, this is all stuff that is really easily available on the net. So I don't, I mean, on the, on the net, but it's 1996. I think it's like, people can Google where I started from. The, the basics are this, the, the important parts of my story are that I did not know what I wanted to do for a living. I did not start out wanting to be a TV writer. There's a lot of people whose journey is that now. And that was not my journey. I just wanted to write professionally. Um, I was in graduate school. I got a master's degree from Columbia. I went to write uh, for, um, I went to be an assistant at Condé Nast. Um, I got a phone call while I was at Condé Nast about uh, writing a show about interracial dating. It did not happen. Um, but in the time between that happening and my next job, which was writing the J. Crew catalog, uh, wow. I ended up with yeah, I ended up with an agent. But there were a bunch of stops along the way that were all low points. You know, I was I left GQ where I was working, and I was working at Origins. I was doing facials and makeup, and someone I used to work with at GQ walked in, and she was like, "How could you possibly be happy doing this?" And she was like, "This." really rich woman, Upper West Side, you know, had the husband and the kids and the whole thing. And she had everything I wanted at that time. And I was, and she humiliated me, like purposely mm. humiliated me. And, 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 um, you know, fuck her. You know what I mean? Like I've gone yeah. out to like all different kinds of success in my own way. I'm just a totally different human being than I was. But I also, you know, respect that that moment, that kind of nader was what I needed. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think no matter what your situation is, uh, and I think it's great that people do know what they want to do. I didn't, it came to me, you know, I was trying to be the first black, uh, editor in chief of Vogue, but I neither had n- the size two body nor the, uh, you know, that, that wasn't my path. I really wanted that. It just didn't happen. Wow. When were you able to have that moment where you let go of that as the, as the dream, if you will. Do you remember like thinking well, like just, it, in hindsight that you looked back and said, oh, I'm done with that now? Or was it like, nope, not for me anymore. I'm moving ahead and doing this. I couldn't get the job. I interviewed for magazine, great magazine job after great magazine job. There were so many jobs that I wanted. I want. I mean, I went after a job at Entertainment Weekly, couldn't get that job. Went after a job at Vogue, couldn't get that job. Like I was at, in the building at Condé Nast working, but it was GQ, if you look at my you know, my story, GQ was just to get me the TV agent. That's what its purpose was in my life. I didn't see that because I had aimed myself toward magazines. So I, what I'm saying is like, you don't, I didn't, I never had a moment of going, well, I guess that's over. Cause occasionally I still write pieces. I wrote a piece for the Hollywood reporter last year. You know, I, I, I'm still a magazine journalist in one way or another. It's just, that wasn't the path. That wasn't what I was meant to do. So when the offer came to write the television show that ended up 
going into the ether or what, whatever its journey was, like, did you say, okay, well, now I'm going to, in- were, you, were you intentional at that point about being a television writer? Or did you reinvent yourself no. as a television writer? No, I actually was still in New York. I was still on my boss's desk. I flew out. We planned a show. We p- pitched a show. It didn't work out. But then I went back home and I went back to, you know, uh, I went back to Origins or I went to Origins. You know, I, I had this whole, you know, actually, no, I went back to GQ and then I went to J Crew, And then a year later, I was working at Origins and my um, my now current agent, who's been my agent the whole time, said, are you going to come try to come back out here and staff? And so my ex-husband and this is also why. When you were saying what you were saying before about does it ever get better post-divorce and all these things, my ex-husband believed in my career so much that he said, let's just move to California. So there's, a, in other words, I try to look at the whole, like for a lot of people, it's easy. And in my case and in your case, it is easy to look at the kid and go, that's why I did that. You know what I mean? You always have to remember that because otherwise you'll go crazy. You'll go bananas, you know? But my ex-husband, uh, you know, he was like, let's just go. And then I came out here. I, uh, I worked in a travel agency <laughs> and then I got a job. I was very lucky. I was, uh, I got, I wrote a spec Bernie Mac episode and they hired me and then I worked at Bernie Mac, uh, and I got fired. I wasn't good at comedy, but that's uh-huh. okay. I was supposed to get my foot in the door. Like every failure has been in one way or another, uh, later edifying, but it's just, you know, there's a lot of them. A lot of it's failure. so interesting to be upwards. I mean, I'm heading t- into 45, like to look back and in hindsight to see that it all makes sense in the end and how um, how really the takeaway or advice is that every like it's so it's so stereotypical or tried to say it, but like every there's no failure. Like it's all part of the journey. Like the failure is the lesson and the lesson is the journey and the journey becomes your light and the life at the end. And you only yeah. see it when you're like, I want to say five years out, 10 years out even. And you go, oh, that's what all that was. That's what all that was for. So we feel so, I believe and uh, disagree or agree, like in the moment, so many young women, let's say young women that are coming out of college are nervous that that like first job that they're going to get has to be the thing. And they've got to get uh, in somewhere and do all of the right things. And it's like, I don't think so. You'll know. uh what we're saying now is like, let it be what it's going to be because it's meant to be for you. I think. Yeah. I think that's a a fair assessment. I think that, you know, I think you have to kind of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you have to trust, but I don't know that everyone comes to that. I mean, I, I had to learn that level of spirituality later, you know? Mm. Um, so I, I think it also depends on your background. You know, if you've come from a background of trauma, you may not be able to trust that, that, that it'll work out. So, you know, I mean, my suggestion is always one day at a time. You know, my cousin was just, just found a, an incredibly great job and it's working with someone that I work with. And I don't, you know, it's like everything lined up for a minute there. She didn't know what she was going to do. And then this happened, you know, it's, I, I would say that the, the path's out there. You know, the path's out there, but you just can't see it all the time. You can't see it all the time. But I, I do you believe in, in like intentional living? Do you like to do your vision boards or like kind of path out what you want to do? Do you do that now that you're a little older? No, I mean, I love a vision board. I mean, love a vision board. 
but I don't, I think it's like as an exercise, it's really helpful to know, like to see what's coming up for you and what's resonating. Um, but I don't, when you say intentional living, I guess what I think is I take the next right action. I do the best thing. I have to be very organized with how I like, I have to sit today. For example, I haven't had the moment with myself where I'm like, let's organize our thinking, our thoughts for the day. But parenting is so unpredictable. I, I feel like anyone who's a parent knows that you like planning is dumb. It's like a waste of time most <laughs> of the time because you don't know what the day is going to look like. So I just try to kind of be present. But in terms of like trying to make my future something, eh, I'm, I, mm. yeah. and I've learned also with this power universe, just to say it, part of the reason that this happened was I was um, a few years ago, my contract was up. And I was like, maybe I'll leave, you know, Lionsgate and Stars and go do something else. And at the time, I was very concerned about not having a show on the air because power was ending. And I didn't want to ha- not have a show on the air. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to stay and I'm going to build this universe. That's what I decided. Looking back on that now, that was a fear-based decision. But I didn't know that at the time. I'm not saying that I regret it. You know, there's a lot of great stuff that's happened as a result. And I know a lot more about myself and I've had to create different boundaries, which have, has pissed a lot of people off, <laughs> but I'm changing and I'm growing and I'm just turned 44. So we're almost exactly the same age. And it's like, I'm changing and growing and I'm shifting and I get to shift. Okay. You know, and I get to go, oh, my priorities might be different. And that is in what most people would look at from the outside success. In success, I'm like, oh, this isn't necessarily like my reasoning for doing this wasn't necessarily correct or as generous or as loving or as based in self-love and and self-support. Do you feel at this age like that you that you are going through or have approached or have gone through some type of like midlife rebirth yet? Because I'm feeling it. Do you feel that at all? I don't know. Well, the thing is, I went through a bad breakup in the fall of 2019. And I feel like that is a sh- that everything that's happened post that breakup has kind of been a shift because that it really was a different version of me who got into that relationship. But I did not know that I needed to bottom out at the, as that version in order to become a different one. So mm-hmm. I really see that as like the point where the tennis ball bounces. Right. It's like there's the shot that's coming in and then I I went bounce and I had to make some real decisions about, Oh, okay. What happened? How did this happen? How did you get here? And that's not about my divorce. That's about a subsequent relationship. And I just, because I had styled myself a certain way and thought of myself a certain way, it took me a moment to like really reconstruct. So yeah, I would say I definitely have been in reconstruction and repair since then. But I don't know that it was as much, I don't know that it was as tied to my age necessarily as it was to, okay, I got out of my marriage. I tried this relationship. Here are the reasons it didn't work. And are you going to deal with your part in why it didn't work? You know, who are you that that didn't work? Yeah, I, uh, so funny how our paths are quite similar because I too came out of a relationship, not my marriage. And that was the bottom for me where I started to shift and say, all right, well, who am I now? Who am I reinventing next? Um, and, and sort of making the move to align with the new Jess as you align with the new Courtney and, and just keep, we keep on shedding and reinventing and shedding and reinventing. 
Um, I would love to, I would love to uh, talk about when you gave, when you gave birth, were you planning on doing that? Was that something that you said that you wanted to build a family? At what point in your career were you at when that was sort of decided? I was with a good wife um, when I gave birth. Uh, and when I got pregnant, um, I was 33. Um, uh, and yeah, I would say, you know, I, I very intentionally got pregnant, really wanted a baby. The only thing that I would say that I look back now in hindsight, I think there was a part of me that had that made that made the decision to have a child to keep my marriage together. Mm. Because he wanted children very badly and I wanted him very badly. And I think that's not something that you necessarily know in the, in the meaning in the, at the time, you know, that, but I have the right kid, you know, God gave me the right kid. So I, 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 I'm happy with, with this person, this little crazy person who I adore, who, uh, <laughs> I, you know, and has made me learn, forced me to learn so much more about myself. I, I, you know? like, I think so many mothers we don't talk about, we are expected to be so maternal, so nurturing. And sometimes for I'll self-proclaim as an alpha female, if you will, like I didn't get motherhood when I had my child. I thought, oh, I'm afraid of this. And there's a lot to learn here. And I was so resistant to being what is traditionally set out for us as mother and what that looks like. Did you did you have that similar experience or do you feel like you sort of like went right into this sort of nurture mode? I mean, I was not, I, I still struggle with femininity in general. Mm. Um, I was raised in a household where femininity was despised. Um, mm. And the, the icon of woman, my dad was, um, uh, you know, a, a pretty classic misogynist. When I was 12, mm. he told me women were either pretty or smart. And because I wasn't pretty, I had to work twice as hard to be smart. Um, my mom was very beautiful uh, is still very beautiful, but was very beautiful growing up and a specific type, very, very slender, tall, um, you know, and so I was dumpy, round, you know, overweight, uh, and I was black and everybody else was white. So there, it was all this difference. And I just was miserable in that household um, but one of the ways that I could really figure it out, I guess, for my young self and from my trauma was to become the abuser, so was to be more masculine so I wouldn't get attacked. I was also sexually assaulted when I was 15. So there was a lot of um, a lot of like shunning femininity, pushing femininity away, taking care of myself uh, that came up. And there's a lot of stuff that is also really about race and what it is to be a black woman, the strong black woman, all of that, those, those, all those tropes. Um, like you said, it's all trite, but at the same time, it's, this is the stuff that was held up. Like, this is what you're supposed to be. And I saw my mom, you know, kind of have this really silent strength, but it wasn't vocal. And I'm a very vocal verbal person. So then I thought that I was not feminine. I'm still learning femininity. I'm still learning how to do that. Um, so, but when I had a baby, when I got pregnant, pregnancy is very feminizing. All of a sudden you can't open the door for yourself. You can't really, by the end, I really couldn't drive. I couldn't reach around the belly to get to the, the steering wheel. So I became weaker and in becoming weaker, 
I became more, um, God, I was frightened. I was so frightened to be feminized. And then I had the baby and then I I tried breastfeeding, which I was a disaster at. And, you know, just that whole period of time. No, I would, I would definitely say that being maternal did not come to be me easily in the way that it's a cliche, but I'm a mom. And so one of the things is I'm good enough because I'm her mother. You know, uh, my daughter said, do you feel bad about, she's, you know, she's a stepmom. She's like, do you feel like, you know, any kind of weirdness about, um, you know, the stepmom? And I was like, no, I don't care. She's not your mother. You know what I mean? I don't, I really don't have any of that. I'm not, you know, that person bakes cookies and bakes brownies and like is a, you know, she's a really good chef and she's, you know, really, um, a really good home cook and she's really, um, very present and nurturing and all these things. Cool. Great. I got three shows to run. That's not me, but I know my daughter and my daughter is the person who's going to have three shows to run. My daughter is brilliant and strong and she's got, she's got this thing. So what I think is I'm on the planet to teach her how to deal with her gifts, how to deal with being tall and black and loud and smart and funny and getting, and, and, you know, attention grabbing. I hated the fact that people couldn't, I couldn't disappear. I wanted to disappear so badly, so much that it gave me an eating disorder. And I don't think that my daughter, uh, I could, I could, did not have a role model like me. Like I said, my mother was thin and beautiful and a teacher. And she was like all these, you know, incredibly feminine things. I wasn't that. I was clomp, clomp. Here's my size 11 shoe. Wah, wah. My daughter is going to be more like me. So this beautiful, feminine, Italian-American woman who is her stepmom, that's great. I'm glad somebody's teaching her how to break a brownie. I will teach her how to write a script. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad someone is, t- is yeah. teaching her how to be like a nurturing person, you know, who also has a job and all that. That's fabulous. I'm the one who's going to be like, okay, so this is what an edit bay is. Or this is how you have to study in order to get that A because you want this kind of job. Like that's where I am. And again, just going back to our earlier thing, my daughter has her own higher power. That person's supposed to be in her life. That's who's supposed. That, that's part of the tribe. That's part of the tale. I don't get to pick the tale for her, you know. So I, I guess that's a long-winded, very long-winded way of saying that. No, I am not a perfect mommy. You know, never. I am postmates mommy. You know, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. A, like, I'm prime mommy. <laughs> Yeah, totally Amazon Prime on me. So what? And, you know, most of the time I spend, when I have my daughter, I stop work at like seven and we go build an entire Lego situation because that's what we're good at together. Building. And I mean that both spiritually and literally. Yes, that's beautiful. Do you feel as though, do you see in your daughter that she just soaks it in and that she learned that she sees the lesson and takes the lesson in and appreciates this way of being, or she's just living her life, not even overthinking as I am consistently doing. Uh, I, I don't get into it, you know, because again, it's like, it sounds like that sounds like a pitfall. Like what is she learning? I can't worry about that. You know, I can't worry about that. Certainly. Yeah. I just don't, what I'm worried about uh, is her self-esteem. What I just held her, her face in my hand. 
Yeah, we. Uh, mm-hmm. I would love to hear about that. Her face in your hands. What do you say to her? Yeah, I was just, I was just holding her little face in in my hands upstairs, and I said to her, "Oh, look at your perfect little face. You are so beautiful." And she said, "Thank you, mommy." And you know, I just want to reflect that back to her constantly because that's not what I got growing up. I'm because I go through my own things as I grow up and mother, like I really, sometimes I can feel like a child parenting a child and other times I feel like a mother, but boy, do I oscillate pretty frequently and I'm still learning to, uh, be more of the parent, uh, to my young child. But I've been thinking about, you know, what are the words I want to say to him, to have him be the, the, be the man or whatever that he'll grow into. So um, it's always nice to hear what other parents are saying to their children to reinforce self-esteem, because that's too where I, my mother loved me, but for whatever reason, I too came with this sort of weird, broken sense of self-esteem, and I don't want my son to have that. And we try so hard to uh, not put our stuff onto our children. So I'm, I'm, so it's nice to know that you're like saying these words to her. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to come up with a few to, to share with my son and his little face. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is too, that if you take like a few steps back, it's your example too. And I mean, so if I'm standing there in the mirror and going, Oh, you're ugly and blah, blah, blah to myself, then I'm also, Uh I'm actually setting that example. So even with a boy, you, if you don't feel great about how you look, don't share that with them. Don't share that with them. Share with them the things that are positive that you say about yourself, you know? Um, I think that's super important. Yeah, I think that that's super important too. I love this. Have you brought her into the writer's room yet or into your, onto your sets? Um, when she was smaller, uh, I did, uh, I probably won't bring her into set now cause of COVID, but, um, yeah, she's been around it. It's boring. Cause you do the same thing over and over again. It's not like watching TV. You know, people always think when they go to set, it'll be like watching TV and it's not, it's like watching people do the same thing over and over again. <laughs> when you are shooting a typical day, what is your, uh, what does your day look like? Oh, there's no such thing as a typical day because yeah. Like yesterday, I had two table reads on two different shows. I had a notes call in the morning. I had, and I, you know, I need to rewrite. When I'm done with this, I'm going to rewrite a whole script. So that's one day. But yesterday was notes and calls. And then this morning, you know, I had a big call with the network. It's just like, there. it's just calls and communication and writing and talking and casting and, you know, all those things, you know? So... You have your, you have your mother self, and then you have this woman that is running so much on such a high functioning, cool level. Um, what kind of, uh, dare I say it, boss are you? Well, I try to be, um, present. I, I try to, what I do like to do is spend individual time with people, you know, um, and, and really hear them. I like to be a positive part of their journey. I don't always do a good job of that. In fact, recently someone who I felt like I had raised in the business decided to leave and go try another opportunity. And it was a situation where I couldn't control what she did. And, um, you know, I, I have to work, do my work around that. Like my work is to 
kind of remember that I'm literally just, just as we are with our kids, merely custodial because we are not their higher power because we're not in control of what happens to them, that I need to have that same level of humility when it comes to people that I am really emotionally invested in. Um, but I, I love, um, I love to promote people. I love to support them. I love to give them new opportunities. Uh, I love to, yeah, I'm just, I think one of the things that people, it's actually a knock on me sometimes is that I'm incredibly loyal, but I'm a Taurus. Like I'm just loyal. So, uh, and so that's it. You know, I, I, I'm supportive. That's what I would say. I'm a supportive person. For these young people who are on the come up, like, what do you see in a new generation? Not, not going as, as young as your daughter, but for, for the woman who's leaving or man or woman who's leaving uh, college and looking to start something. What are you, what are you inspired by, by this like new generation of people entering, let's say entertainment or the workforce or are, are there women that you see that are young that you're like, well, wow, that's an inspiration. Or are you like, eh, Gen Z, get out of here. Uh, it's interesting because what I love about kids these days, and when I say kids, I mean people in their 20s, is they don't have as much fear as we did. We had so much fear and we weren't sure if we knew anything and they seem to think they know everything, which is fully great. Um, and I hope that works out for you. It's just not how I worked. So I do love their enthusiasm. I just find it sometimes when people are like, well, I want my own TV show. And it's like, do you know how long it took me to get my own TV show, dude? I worked on a whole bunch of shows until I learned how to do this. You think you have a YouTube channel and that means you should have your own TV show. Okay, cool. Like, I, great. If you can make that happen, fabulous. But I, I don't know how to tell you how to make that happen. I think that's really what it comes from down to is people are like, well, how do I get my own show on there? And it's like, well, actually, if you want to do what I did, you work on other people's shows until you learn the job of being a showrunner. And then you take a shot on yourself and then you take a huge pay cut, huge pay cut. And you wonder how you're going to pay your bills. And then you work your way up. It's like, they don't want to hear that story. They don't want to hear that story. They don't want to hear you work a travel agency. They don't want to hear you get microaggressed. They don't want to hear you get uh, sexually harassed. They don't want to hear any of that. They want to hear how do I get my own show in the air? Uh, I think that so I, I hear so many young women be like, yeah, I want to be a showrunner. And I think to myself, you know, I, I wonder what your path will be like. Do to you? Get there. <laughs> do, do you really? Yeah. Do you want to be a showrunner? You know what it is. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. It's like you think it's cute until you have to talk somebody out of their trailer. Yes. Oh, you know? boy. Oh, boy. You think it's great until the network or the studio says, uh, I'm sorry, you've got to slash $300,000 out of your budget. And that means you have to get rid of a character and a storyline. Oh, that's not the show that you wanted to do. Nobody cares. Yeah. Get that $300 out of your budget. How many people are in your room? So, uh, I'm just about to, last year I had a really big room on ghost. I had like 11 people total, including wow. myself, but this year it'll be smaller. Yeah. yeah. And then when you're putting that team together, um, do you, do you curate it based on any, um, something that's important to you? Um, that sounds like the diversity question. And so what I'm going to say is that I, I'm going to say, I hope you ask white women that question, Jess. I hope that you are always asking white women that question because you know I'm betting me? money that you don't all, you don't always ask it. And I'm going to say, you need to ask white women. 
I do want to say, believe it or not, I do ask that question. I ask men if they have Great. women on their teams. I ask women if they work with men. I ask, I ask about diversity. I do ask. Great. Fabulous. Um, I just I get very tired of being asked that question, to be honest with you, because I exist. Therefore, diversity exists. I think Uh-oh, that. Echoing, um, right? What? Do you hear me I, echoing? No. Okay. Then I'll ignore it. Go ahead. I appreciate. I appreciate that response because that is the case. Um, I think it's cool though to have people lead the charge and be a, a beacon of light in like saying you need to be asking that question or we need to be making these choices in this way um so i appreciate that about you. i'm tired even though, even though it's a shitty question I'm tired of, no it's not that it's a shitty question remember don't don't take it don't personalize it it's literally that I'm tired of teaching white people how to have these conversations. I'm over it. I'm just over explaining it. I'm over bringing people into the conversation. I'm over that. I don't need to do that. If you can't figure that out on your own at this point, having had so much time to get it right, it's a little bit like uh, I feel as though I have been in marriage counseling with white America for four or five years. And you know what? We put a lot of money into that, guys, but now it's over. <laughs> like, I'm not going to put any more of my energy in explaining how to create a diverse writer's room or explaining how to. So for me, I'll say everyone in my writer's room is different from me and not just demographically, but they have a different experience than I do because I think everyone should be different. So the last computer that the, the show that the script goes through is mine. Therefore, I'm not running around looking for an African-American double Ivy League, you know, person from Connecticut because I have one of those. I can't escape her. She's literally living in my house. Do you know what I'm saying? So I don't need that. Everyone else is something different. And that would be the only thing I would say. So what uh, I mean, I have a lot to say about this topic and I get so enraged usually when people are because other writers will call me and they'll be like, do you need know, know any good diverse writers? First of all, diverse as a word to describe one person is incorrect. Do you speak English? You cannot be a diverse person. That doesn't make sense. You can be a person with diverse interests. You can be a person with a diverse background. But if you're saying that someone who is black is diverse, that's not true because they are black, period. If you're saying that someone who is black and Indian and Jewish and Italian is, is from a diverse background. Yes, they are. But that's what that word means. And we've now sort of agents in Hollywood are like, well, I'm looking for a diverse director. No, you're not. <laughs> you're looking for a, a BIPOC director. Just say it. Just go ahead and say it. Or you're looking for a woman. I don't want to be called a female showrunner. I'm a woman. I'm an adult. You know, I fought for that. You know, I'm over 18. I'm a woman. I'm not a female with my lemur, you know, like it's a thing. It's a thing for me. Anyway. I think it's pretty super cool though, that like you're saying that everyone is different than you, because then you have a beautifully robust storyline and world that come from all different directions. And that's, you know, super cool. That's, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know why I'm attributing it to New York city, but it's like New York city or what the United States is or just, all of those voices is super cool. Like for me, it, sh- it should be. Uh, mm-hmm. 
Go ahead. For me, I'm not a showrunner, but I, I am a senior producer and an executive producer on things. And I have fine, like I really come up against, uh, and we don't need to get into it, but like I come up against the gender thing. People will say they want to work with a more, let's say, gender diverse team and have women. And I will often fight to hire women so that I'm like actually walking that talk. And at the end of the day, oftentimes the women won't be hired and I'll be the only woman on set. And uh, I'm still shocked yep. that like, that's like as regular as it comes. Well, and then if you try to ask, if you try to hire people who are non-binary, that's also really scary for people. I think, you know, that's, I'm just being honest, but like, yeah, we have to push, we have to push. And, um, a lot of times it's still about exceptionalism. Like I, Jess is the right person for the job. Yeah, she's a woman, but she's the right person. So it's okay. That's still happening in people's minds. And of course, Jess wants to hire women because she's a woman, but she's not, that's not the right person. It's just that, you know, like that kind of thing is still happening. What I will say is that I, I do like to hire straight white men um, in the same way that I like to hire anybody else who's different from me because that's a different perspective. And I have, mm. you know, straight, straight white male characters on my show. I don't want to write everyone as a cartoon either. You know, I love to have my white characters talk about whiteness, address it, talk about that experience. Why not? You know, so I, I, I think that diversity comes not only in hiring, but it also comes in the conversations that you're having. Yeah, the conversations are so important. Like st still in Hollywood, the idea is like, oh, I know that guy. So I'm just going to hire him. It's easier. Everything is always easier. Like you can't in production, everything works so quickly. So like the easy choice is the easy choice, but it's not the right choice when you want to like actually change some shit, you know, I find. I think that one of the things that I run into, even in my own team, um, and I actually got really angry at everybody recently about this. Um, I didn't show that anger. I, what I said, of course, and that was my response is my reaction is private. My response is public. And that's the biggest piece of advice I can give anybody mm. about anything. But my reaction was private to this, but my response was public, which is that we as a group at end of episode, my company, we cannot just always hire the straight white guy that people have worked with before, because if people were invested in hiring just the straight white guy they've worked with before, that means I wouldn't have gotten hired. And none of you guys would have jobs. Like, that's not okay. You have to realize that people who don't have experience doesn't mean they don't have talent. It means that they may not have the skill yet. You have to give that to them. So, yeah, there it's we a, have it. That it's so, it's really interesting. And I just, I'm thankful that you are a boss in this world, that you're a leader in this world, that you are you creating what you are creating in this world. Like you are really up there, man, creating a world, a world, like a whole, you created a world from nothing. Do you? Yeah, I mean, sure, but I didn't do it on my own. You know, I have, that's what a writing staff is for. And, and I, I, you know, thank you. And I'm excited about what I've done. And I'm also you know, uh, make, trying to make sure that the writer inside me doesn't just become a traffic cop of scripts and producing and things like that. I, I still want to write stuff. And one thing I'll confess is I haven't written a lot about women. Mm. You know, I've, I've hidden behind my male characters in a lot of cases. I create, you know, remember there was that whole thing for a while. It was like strong female characters, strong female characters. What all that BS about strong female characters? And I was like, that's a silly statement. You know, I was the person who was always saying, when someone would ask me, how do you create a strong female character? I'd be like, what do you mean? You mean create a strong character. You guys are, because I would always say, you just had the experience. Do you ask men 
how they create strong female characters? Why are you asking me? I just write characters and the w- women and the men. And if I create a non-binary character, they will all be strong characters and complex and have inner life because I'm a writer and that's what I do. You should be asking men why female characters are just these weird paper dolls. Because that's really the preference of a lot of people is to have a stick figure paper doll woman character who doesn't say much or do much, you know, whose choices are not fully realized. Um, It's funny, I was watching an Adrian Lyne movie today. And, you know, his movies can be discussed how he deals with gender and sexuality and all those things, you know, fatal attraction, like all those things. But it's interesting because those women in those movies, even if you want to say that they're like archetypes or whatever they might be, at least they're characters. At least they make choices, you know, I mean, at least they actually do stuff. Maybe it's the wrong stuff. Maybe it's the right stuff, but they do stuff. So anyway, I just I I I I, I have lots of opinions. But yes, I I did create a world of characters and stuff that hopefully are interesting and fun. I think so. And I think that your perspective comes through in them. And that is so cool. And the world and Hollywood is just lucky to have you. You gorgeous. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Do what do you have? I appreciate that. Do you have a set? Do you have something to reinvent next? Do you have thoughts about what's happening next or not? Still no. Do you, are you still just sort of taking it day by day and enjoying what you're doing? I'm taking a, I'm going to take a real beat. I have a trip planned where I'm going to really sit and think about it, girl. Yes. I have a lot of things that I want to do. I I think I want to direct a movie soon. I think that's something I want to do. Very cool. Do you have a favorite genre that you would want to uh, integrate yourself into? Action. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I want to write this. an action movie, I think. I direct love one. it for you. You could be the new Michael Bay, question mark? <laughs> no. No, no, maybe. I, 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 I want to do an action movie, but I want to shoot it practically, and I don't want to do, like, special effects and stuff. Like, I'm, I'm interested in practical effects, like the Russo brothers and stuff like that. Like, I, I'm interested in, in, I mean, obviously, you know, um, they've done now things that are much more, um, I mean, obviously the Avengers Endgame and, uh, you know, Infinity War and all that, but uh, in Captain America Civil War, so much of the action was practical and I just love practical action. So I, I hope I get to do something like that. Cool. What's your favorite movie? The Godfather. Ooh. But followed, followed very closely by Ocean's Eleven. Wow. Ocean's Eleven is a perfect script. It's a perfect script. It's a perfect script. I think Ocean's Eleven might be up there for me, too. And my favorite happens to be Goodfellas. So I see you. Oh, Goodfellas is great. Yeah. Yes. Goodfellas is great. (laughs) And by the way, Goodfellas, interesting enough, even though the movies we're talking about are heavily male, Goodfellas, Karen is a great character. The great Mm. character, you know? The Godfather K is a great character. Those are wonderful characters. And in Ocean's Eleven, that, you know, Tess is a great character. We understand her motivations and she's well, you know, she's well kind of realized. So. I love it. Well, I can't wait to see your movie come out, your action movie come out. (laughs) Um, Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Courtney, for taking the time to speak with us today. I know you are very busy and it's lovely to connect and 
have you share your wisdom and journey and uh, and your voice, your voice, your loud voice. I love it. If you in- <laughs> if you enjoyed today's show, be sure to like, subscribe, and leave your rebel stories of reinvention on our show page. I'm Jess Zeno, and this is the Mothers of Reinvention. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, yeah.